Before we leave chapter 34 of Genesis, I want to make a few more observations. You can be opening your Bible to Genesis 34. We won't read this chapter again, but as we've considered it in the past several lessons, we've seen where there really wasn't anyone in this passage that was seeking the mind of the Lord and obeying it. There were a lot of actions and reactions, a lot of emotions, some of them justified, but some of the justified, in this case anger, led to unjustifiable harm and cruelty. And even Jacob, who is a man of faith, who is still learning to live by faith, we see that he expresses, and there in verse 30, as you're scanning the chapter, that he expresses fear once again, that he was going to be destroyed and killed by his enemies. And of course, that statement is in direct contradiction to what God had promised him. So clearly, a lack of faith in this particular area at this particular time. And as we consider all of this and we see how there wasn't any of God's people in this chapter really seeking and doing the will of God. And there are times in our life where that sometimes seems to be the case as well. Certainly as you look at church history as a whole, you see that there have been so many times of apostasy and even what we often consider the grace movement, the churches that we have kind of descended from, some of us, and where this message has been handed down from one generation to another. Over the years, we've seen a lot of hypocrisy, and we've seen a lot of failures, and that's often very discouraging. In fact, many that have been through those experiences where others have failed or where they have failed and where it just seems like is there anybody really that is dedicating themselves to the Lord, whether starting at the top with the pastors and the preachers and the teachers and the spiritual leaders? Is there anybody really living a life of faith? Now, obviously, that's a brush that Satan likes to use to get us to focus on all the failures. And But the reality is there are times when we we have that thought. It just seems like we we go through a time where there's a lot of failure among God's people. We certainly see it in this 34th chapter. And sometimes we let ourselves get discouraged with that. And there have been many over the years that have heard many of the same truths that we proclaim here and, and the, the sound doctrine of Paul's grace that was given to him for this church age. There have been many that have heard this message and and have heard about the, the bridal truth, uh, the deeper truths that Paul reveals to us, and they've abandoned them because of such discouragement when they, they look around and they see so many failures. And so there's been so many that have been laid by the, the wayside because they focused on all the wrong things. The reality is there has always been and there will always be hypocrisy among God's people. There's not a, a local assembly anywhere that you're going to find that has 100% spiritual people all the time. It just doesn't exist. But that shouldn't be a discouragement for us, nor does it justify us being carnal. Sometimes we use it for an excuse as well. Well, nobody else is doing what they ought to, so why should I? Satan's good about 
putting our focus on all of those negative things. But we need to learn to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask yourself, has Jesus ever failed you? He's the one that we serve. We serve him because we love him, not because everybody else is. And we've seen this over the years. There's crowds have come and gone. And when there's a lot of activity and a lot of people attending and all of that, then everybody's excited and, man, we've got a great church. But then things happen. People get distracted. People leave. Other people leave. Well, we need to ask ourselves, why are we here? Why do we attend this assembly? The only real reason, it's not because, well, we've always done it. Our folks did. Our family goes here. Those can be wonderful benefits, but the only reason to attend any assembly is to hear the truth of God's word proclaimed. The only reason to serve Jesus is because you love him, and you'll love him when you understand from the word of God all that he has done for you, all that he is doing for you, and all that he will do for you. You can't help but fall in love with Jesus when you have that personal revelation and understanding. And so, yes, it is discouraging when we see chapter 34. It's discouraging. But it doesn't have to be our defeat. It doesn't have to be our downfall. As individuals, we can each live a life of victory over sin and carnality and enjoy the benefits of it. We can have a song of joy and rejoicing in our heart. No matter what's going on in our own life and and around, we can always rejoice. And even from chapter 34, we see that there was still those that would lay hold, even like in Jacob's case, who did have a moment of failure and just had several along the way. But as we'll see in the next chapter, there's a remedy for those failures, and that is to return to worshiping and serving and and putting him first in your life, first and only in your life. And so even those that we see Jacob that had had fallen in in chapter 34 in unbelief, but yet we see him getting back up and being the leader that God had called him to be. And we can do that too, even when we ourselves fall short. And but from this group, we see not only Jacob standing up, but we Joseph comes out of chapter 34. We see Joseph, who is one of the greatest examples of what faith really is. And I always enjoy studying the life of Joseph. It's a challenge, the kind of faith that this man had. He came out of that. And as we look back at our own history and our own church history, yeah, there's, there's been a lot of failure along the way, but there's also been a lot of men and women of faith that have been a great example of what it means to love the Lord. And that we can now be that individual. I remember as a young person being challenged by, by the Holy Spirit when I would stand in awe of some of the, the different spiritual leaders. My, my great-grandpa, C.E. Foster, and my grandpa, Floyd Crook, Virgil's dad. And till the day they, they died, their last breath, they were examples of what it meant to trust the Lord. And I stood in awe of them. But as I began to see some of those older ones pass away... Uh, I began to wonder, what's going to happen to us? (laughs) And that's when the Holy Spirit says, what about you? You can be the example to your generation and the generation that follows. And that's what the Holy Spirit is wanting to challenge each of us is, 
You make that decision to follow Christ. Doesn't matter what anybody else does. You be that example. So we have Joseph coming out of chapter 34. We have Moses. We have Joshua. We have Caleb. All coming out of that, those many failures that we see. We have Samuel and David. And ultimately, Jesus Christ came from, from this very family. And so, again, chapter 34 is not my favorite chapter to teach. And it can be discouraging when you kind of look around. And we've seen a lot of chapter 34s in our church history. But there's also been victories. And I want to be an example of how to live a life of victory and to point people to Jesus Christ so they can live a life of victory rather than pointing to all the failures and focusing on them and dwelling on them. Christ, he's the one that we are to put our eyes on him, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And our faith needs finishing. Just like Jacob, we're still learning, aren't we? Ever have a moment of unbelief in your life? (laughs) Did you ever say and express something that was in complete contradiction to what Jesus said in his word, all things work together for my good. You ever said something contrary to that? <laughs> Think something contrary to that? We have. But he, Jesus, as we look to him, he'll finish, he'll complete our faith. And again, when we fall short, we have that wonderful privilege, and we'll consider that in our next chapter. We have the wonderful privilege to repent and to return to the way of faith. What a privilege is ours. There's always been and there will always be just like there has always been and will always be hypocrisy and failure among God's people, there will also always be a faithful remnant. And you and I can be a part of that faithful remnant. But it's, it's a choice. Are we going to follow Jesus? As we'll read later, Joshua says, As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. If you want to serve the idols, go ahead. But we're going to serve Jehovah. You think it's possible for you to be the example of a faithful believer? impossible. I, I know my weaknesses, and if so-and-so can't do it, why, do, why would I think I can? Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 21. Jesus is able to take you from chapter 34 of Genesis to Revelation 19, where you can sit on the throne with the Lord Jesus Christ, be adorned with the, the wedding dress of the eternal partner of the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous acts. You can live righteously. You can do what's right in his sight. If you believe these promises, Ephesians 3.14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ. And that that word know is to experience, a personal experience, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. You can't explain it. You can't diagram it. But you can know it. You can experience it. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Really? Is that possible for me? For you to know all the fullness of God? Now to him who is able, God's able, to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. 
To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. He's able to do the work. It's not a matter of if we can obtain to God's best. It's a a matter of yielding to God's work to to do that work in us. God will put the, 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 the desire to do his will, and he will give you the ability to do his will. Do you believe it? It's not impossible. So may we not get discouraged by chapters like 34. Let's learn from them. Let's learn from the sadness, the tragedy, the loss. Let's, let's learn the lessons, but let's not get discouraged by the failures to know that we can do what's right in God's sight if we'll simply yield our will to the will of God. Now let's go on to chapter 35 where we see Jacob making the right choice, hearing the voice of God, obeying the voice of God. Genesis 35 and beginning at verse 1, we'll read the first four verses to start. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau your brother. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Now notice, they're still there. It's still a problem among Jacob's family. Purify yourselves and change your garments, literally. Take a bath, change your garments. Then let us arise and go to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears, part of, as part of their worship. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree which was, at, which was by Shechem. So Jacob now gets his life and the life of his family in order. There was still some idol worshiping going on among his family. And he's now returning to Bethel, which of course means the house of God. That's where God spoke to him clearly about what his plans and purposes were for Jacob and his family. And there's a number of applications and lessons I think that we can learn from Jacob's returning to to Bethel. We can sum them up by saying that in those times when we do fail, the answer, the remedy to those failures is to go back, return to where God called you to walk. Isaiah 30, verse 21. Return to obedience to his will, doing what God asks you to do. The grace of God is so magnificent, amazing, infinite, that he'll take us where we've fallen and lift us up and put us back on that path of righteousness. Now, his grace is not a tolerance to say, oh, it's okay that you've fallen in the mud pit and go ahead and play around a while. It's okay. That's not the grace of God. The grace of God is to take you, to lift you from that pit and clean you up and put you back on the path of obedience because he loves you. Obedience to the will of God is what's in your best interest. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, and every aspect of who we are in the will of God, we'll find everything we need for life and for eternity. This is why God demands that we obey, because his will is for our best, and he loves us. Isaiah 30, verse 21, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or 
whenever you turn to the left. So see, God's people do turn. We do get off track, don't we? But the Holy Spirit is faithful to whisper to those that truly want to have God's best because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to bring him the greatest glory. If you have an ear to hear when you begin to stray, you'll hear that still small voice. Uh, you're going off path. Return. And, and there's no shortcuts in the will of God. It's always when you fall off the path, you got to come back to where you fell off and then go on. You can't take a wide detour and skip and think you're going to get to God's best. You got to come back, back to obedience. Acknowledge where you failed. Acknowledge where you stepped off the path. And then look to him to give you strength to stand up and to go forward. Sadly, in that same chapter, back up to verse 15, in Israel's case, time and time again, Jehovah was faithful to whisper in their ear, this is the way, but they didn't hear. For thus says the Lord, verse 15 of Isaiah 30, for thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest, you shall be saved, delivered. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength, but you would not. The remedy's simple, it's easy. Just listen to the voice, but too often God's people don't listen. He's long-suffering, he's gracious, and that grace will constantly call you back to return. Jacob returned to Bethel. Jacob's heart was still tender toward the Lord, and he heard the voice. He was still sensitive enough to hear the voice of the Lord, and he responded. That's the difference between one who is characterized by carnality and one who is characterized by spirituality. A spiritual saint is not one who never fails. Such a Christian doesn't exist, that doesn't have moments of unbelief. But the difference between a carnal Christian and a spiritual Christian is the spiritual Christian repents, hears and heeds the voice of the Lord, the instruction of the Word of God, the, the voice of the Holy Spirit, the leading of the Holy Spirit. A carnal Christian just continues to turn a deaf ear time and time and time again. So don't think to be a spiritual Christian means that you never have times when you fail. Jacob was, is an example of a spiritual man. He knew, he valued the promises that were made to Abraham, to Isaac, and now to him. He valued those. He thought on spiritual things. He valued spiritual things. But it, it was a growing process in his spirituality. And it'll be the same with you. But let's keep growing. And when we stray, we come back. We return. We rest in his grace and his sufficiency to make us what we ought to be. Jacob knew that if he was going to come back and have communion with Jehovah, there needed to be a cleansing. Throw out those foreign gods, those foreign idols. Jacob, we never read where he actually worshipped foreign gods, but many of his family did. They had to put away some things, not only the, the idols, but also the jewelry that was identified with that idolatry. And you can imagine just the monetary value of those things. Remember, Rachel hid her father's idols, household idols, and if for no other reason but for the monetary value of them, she may have still had some attraction to idolatry, but later we see she does express faith in Jehovah. But just the monetary value, they, 
they had to give that up if they wanted to go on with the Lord. We need to ask ourselves, what is, it, what is God asking us to put away in order for us to serve the Lord as he would have us? They were to bathe, purify themselves, and change the, their garments. Now, in that day and age and in that culture, they didn't change clothes. They didn't bathe every day like we do. It wasn't practical, and so they didn't do it. So it was not very often that they would actually bathe, fully bathe, and change clothes. And But special occasions, you got to take a bath. You got to put on new clothes. And it often represented a new beginning of things. And that's exactly what it is here. Jacob was a worshiper of Jehovah. He's had a number of new beginnings. He, he, he already had that encounter with, with the Lord, where the Lord changed his name from Jacob to Israel. That was a new beginning. But now we have another beginning. As he returns, okay, now we're starting new and fresh to follow me. We have those experiences in our own life. First John 1, 5 to 10. When we accept Jesus as our Savior, we are made new. We are new creatures in Christ. Old things have passed away. That's certainly a new beginning. But in our Christian walk, we'll have a number of new beginnings. And some of them because we have failed. When we repent and return, we're beginning anew to walk with the Lord. We don't need to get saved again, as some people think. But as Jesus taught, when, you're getting, when you get saved, it's like having taken a bath. And not too many years ago, and some of you may remember, bathhouses and certainly outhouses that were outside before we had indoor plumbing. In Paraguay, I had this experience out in the camp in the in the countryside that you would take take your shower in this old wooden box away from the house you're all clean and then you walk back in your sandals back to the house and the dirt path and now your feet are dirty again and that's the way the christian life is sometimes is we've been washed fully bathed cleansed from the guilt and the penalty of sin but as we walk around in this world and in this life our feet get dirty and jesus when he washed the feet of the disciples, he taught that lesson. Peter got all excited when he finally understood that it was, it was right and important for his feet to be washed. Peter said, just wash me all over. And Jesus said, well, that, that's not necessary, but we need our walk to be cleansed. And sometimes it's a new beginning after you've had that washing of your feet. First John 1, 5 to 10, in those times when we have strayed, May there be a fresh re returning to the Lord, that we can apply the grace of God that we see presented to us in 1 John 5 to 10. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Jacob understood that way back then. He didn't have this passage. He understood. We're being called return to return to Bethel. We're, we're we're returning to worship Jehovah. Let's, let's get rid of all of those things that stand between us and serving God. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, it's conditional. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. 
This is the privilege that the Christian has for fellowship with our Father and with our Savior, Jesus Christ. When we've strayed from the path, when we get our feet dirty, His grace will cleanse us, restore us. But there needs to be that fresh, new beginning. Purify yourself. Put on the new garments. Take off the dirty old garments of the flesh and put on the fresh garments of the very life of Jesus Christ. Philippians 3, verses 7 to 14. Jacob had to bury that wealth and that treasure that was associated with those foreign gods. He probably knew he had to hide it from some that'd be tempted to to go look for it. So he buried it. What is God asking you to give up? And some of the things that he asks us to give up are not necessarily sinful in and of themselves. He, he asks all of us to give up the works of the flesh. All of us should know that. But there may be other things that aren't in and of themselves sinful, but if they keep us, if they hinder us from giving our all in our service to the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to, to bury those things, get rid of them. And for each one, it'll be different. I, I, you know, I, I can't tell you what those things are. But be sensitive to the Holy Spirit when, when he says this thing or this relationship or, or whatever it might be, it's hindering you from giving your all to Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's a person. It's a relationship. Give it up if that's what it takes for you to surrender unconditionally to the will of God. This is what Paul did in Philippians 3, 7 to 14. We'll close with this this evening. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, his supreme desire in life, and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Just believing God's promises, Paul was going to live right, do what was right, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Paul wasn't crucified. So what does that mean, conformed to his death? Why did Jesus die? It was in complete obedience to the will of the Father. How can I be conformed to the death of Jesus Christ? Unconditional surrender to the will of my Father. If by any means I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead, out from among the righteous dead. Paul says not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. This is the point I want to emphasize. We press on. There are failures from time to time. But press on in the will of God. Return like Jacob did that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That is to be our focus, saints. Not chapter 34, not all the failures, not the failures of others, not even our own failures. Forgetting those things which are behind, Dealing with them, talking about our own faults, acknowledge them, repent of them. But then that's in the past. God's grace was sufficient for those things. Now press on, on that path of righteousness, looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll close there this evening. Let's stand. We'll be dismissed.